Let me get this windscreen set up. And... The following podcast is part of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed may not represent other podcasts or affiliates of Gunna Geek. Check out more podcasts at gunnageek.com. And now get ready because geekness starts in three, two, one. You have my full undivided attention. I don't think that's true. What the f are you playing? I'm. How is that Wonder Trade? How can you even tell that I'm playing something? Is that Wonder Trade? Are you Wonder Trading right now? I mean, I might be. But listen, in the event that I am Wonder Trading, hypothetically, right? Are you are you getting uh, good Pokemon when you want to trade? And then are you trading really sh stuff to be that guy? That's what you're doing, is it? Let me guess. You went out and you caught Ratatata. No, there are no Ratatata. Listen, I. Somebody. Somebody in America has to give uh, other Pokemon players Slowpoke. What? Why? Because Slowpoke is a, a Pokemon that needs to be uh, in a trainer's. Uh, in a trainer's. Uh, you know. Decoupage. We've talked about that word. It's not the right. Have we? Yeah, we've talked about how that's not the right word for pretty much any time you ever use it. Yeah? I don't remember that conversation actually taking place. Episode, I'm going to guess 53, 52. It actually wasn't that long ago. No, I think it was a while ago. I think it was in the 40s. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Look, I, I thought you just said you don't remember us having that conversation. Because it was in the 40s. You see what it did there? Nope, I don't. Okay. I don't at all. All right, well, hey. We are recording episode 56. Episode 56. Of unqualified gamers, I'm here with you. I'm I am right here. You've got me captivated. Yeah. Well, I was telling the listener because believe it or not, John, I'm not always talking at you. Sometimes I'm talking at the listener. I really thought this podcast was all for me. Well, I mean, you are the one that makes me do it. So, in that respect, speaking of making speaking of making you do stuff, uh, did you? Oh, by the way, listener, we talk about video games here. Um, Yes, Jonathan, to, tell me more. Were you, were, you on, were you on another podcast today? Tell me, you, Cody, more. Did you cheat on me? Because my name is Cody. I did with three other men. How does that make you feel? I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm really not surprised. Right. So where'd you appear? I was on the official Gonna Geek podcast, episode 30. That's right. So, listener, uh, if you didn't join us last week, we are now officially part of a network of podcasts called the Gunna Geek Podcast. Well, it's actually just the Gunna Geek. It's GunnaGeek.com, but they host a bunch of different podcasts on their website. So we are one of a myriad of podcasts that they have. Well, they know because we have the thing at the start of the show now. I know, but if the if, you know, if the listener's just catching up, we've only had that for one other week. Well, yeah, but we have it this week, too. So you're saying that the listener is just catching up with... The podcast up until this point, other than the first 15 to 20 seconds of the podcast. Right, exactly. That is exactly what I just said. So why would we do that? For that listener. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. 
that. Look, I'm just here for them. I can tell. Well, I'm here. You're for, here. You're here for you. I am definitely here for me. This I've you know I actually and in between recording the official Gunna Geek podcast and this episode, I actually recorded three other podcasts by myself that I don't even plan on letting anybody else hear. I just I just talked with uh, my recording equipment running for a couple hours actually. Would you talk about how great you were? Well, what else am I going to talk about? That's what that's what the people want to hear, John. The... Yeah, but we just said you're not here for the people, right? I don't think anybody wants to hear that. So, what did you do before we talk about video games? Tell me about your weekend. It was Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. I had uh, a a civ- civic civil. Civilic rights weekend. What's oh. the kind of weekend I had? Okay. So it was my weekend off, and it's no secret if listener, if you've been listening to a couple of episodes, uh, just so you know, my wife is is pregnant, um, and she's we're getting pretty close. Like our due dates, our due dates, uh, basically March, March first, February twenty eighth. But we kind of had a we kind of had a pregnancy scare where she was basically. I mean, she was really close to going into labor, like really close. And we've kind of gotten the news now that any, really any day now, she's going to go into labor. And if you do the math, you know, we're at like 34 and a half weeks, nearing 35. So baby will be a little premature, but neither of us are worried about anything. Um, And so, you know, we were, we were kind of like, we were in bed and she's been pretty uncomfortable for the past like few nights. And uh, she woke me up at like 3 a.m. Because just like every other movie you ever see, every TV show you ever see where the woman is pregnant, if she's going to give birth, she's going to do it at 2 a.m. Sure. Like she's not going to – like if, if a woman's going to go into labor, she's not going to go into labor at like 9 a.m. on a weekend after you've had two cups of coffee. No, of course not. No, that's not possible. Right. So, you know, I get like the – and I, I'm already kind of sleeping really light now because basically every time that she wakes up, I I – instinctively wake up to make sure that she's all right. And um, she woke me up and, and we had been talking earlier that night about, do, do we need to like go in and get this checked out? Cause she was having some, some cramps and, and she woke up and she's like, we need to go. And I was like, oh, okay. So we like had already had the bag packed, which is something you do in a pregnancy. You like pack a bag that you're going to bring to the hospital. So we, we got the bag and we got like everything together and we, we got to the car and it's really f***ing cold. But Minnesota is cold in the winter. It's really cold. Wait, really? It's really – and just as an aside, uh, Minnesota – I'm going to talk to Minnesota for a second here. Minnesota, let's talk. All right. You are a good place, Minnesota. You are a good place to be. I like you. I like the people that are in you. I am in you and I like me and I like other people that are in you. Um, but you have the worst winters I have ever experienced in my arguably short time on this earth. Uh, they are horribly cold. Your winters are horribly cold. You snow way too much. Like here, my ideal snow is like two giant snowstorms that just dump like two feet of snow in three days. And then that's it because then I don't have to shovel all the time. Minnesota doesn't do that. Minnesota drops three inches one night. The next night it'll drop like four inches. The next night it'll drop three inches. And I'm shoveling three or four days in a row my entire 
fucking driveway in, you know, negative five degrees and negative 30 degree wind chill. And it's not comfortable. And then I can't feel my face anymore. Yeah, but I'll do that. Sometimes I drop three inches one night and then I drop four inches the next night. And then I drop three inches the night after that, depending on how, uh, you know. <laughs> no, I don't. And anyway, you're wrong because snow is awesome and I want it to happen all the time. You don't have anything to do with snow cleanup or removal. This is accurate. Snow, snow becomes a completely different thing when you are driving in it and when you are cleaning it out of your driveway. Just get a, a landlord. Complete, that's the, the world does not work that way. You don't just get a landlord. You could get a landlord. All right. So anyway, that was an aside. And frankly, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to Minnesota. Yeah. So thanks for your input that nobody asked for. So about you um, talking to inanimate uh, bodies of land. I've had a very long few days. <laughs> so so we were, you know, we went into the hospital and um, like they, they hooked her up and we, we, we were told within the first like half an hour of us being at the visit that we were going to spend the night there. Uh, and, you know, I, we're we're going to this hospital that is kind of very very nice maternity maternity area, um, and the we got put in a birthing room and it was actually like it is the it, it is not the exact same room but that type of room is the same room that we are going to deliver in that Casey's going to end up delivering in, and um, it was beautiful. It was very large. There's like a spot that you actually put your baby in the room. So there's not like a nursery. The, the baby stays in the room with you. There's a couch that flips over into a twin bed for me that I can sleep on. Uh, so the room was super nice. However, it was still the hospital and I don't, I can, I can't think of a single person that would be like comfortable sleeping in a hospital, regardless of how nice their accommodations were. So it is still the hospital. We end up getting into the room and like settled at about five thirty, um, and in the morning, you know, yeah, because we we had to sit through like the first part of the doctor visit because we got we got into the into the um, the section of the hospital we had to go to. Then we had to sit in the waiting room to wait for the doctor. Then or to wait for the nurse. Then the nurse came in, did the nurse thing, left, waited like another half an hour for the doctor. Doctor left, waited to get checked into the hospital because, like, the check-in process of the hospital is a thing in itself. So, like, all that process takes a long time. And then they finally took us to the room, and it was like uh, it was like five five thirty when we got there. And we were both kind of jacked up at that point because of all of the stuff that had happened. Um, and all the Mountain Dew you were drinking, right? And all of the Mountain Dew that we were drinking, because that's the first thing I do when I have to wake up at two to get out of bed. I slam a Mountain Dew. That's what some people do. I slam two of them. Um, it was a legitimate so, concern. So we got there. We're we're there. I finally like settled down and I sleep for like two hours. It was up at seven thirty because um, she started to have some some pain again. And it was we spent another like forty five minutes to an hour with the nurses and stuff trying to figure out what we could do to stop that. And then we did. And then I slept for another hour. And you know, all said and done, I probably got three hours of sleep that night. Which is probably what I'm going to be getting once the baby's actually here as well. Yeah, I was going to say you're getting good practice for this. Yeah, yeah. So except that, except that the like the, I feel like when the baby's actually here, it's going to be a different kind of not sleeping. Like this was a not sleeping compounded by like me constantly worrying, which is the worst. So uh, 
I like I was just I was so worthless yesterday. Um uh, and but it was really nice. We got to come home. Uh no baby yet, which is also nice. You know, we really ideally we let him cook for a little while longer. Um and uh and then there was today where I had to work twelve hours and it was just it was the worst. It was just the worst. Because I'm still recovering. So, oh, oh, and here's the other great thing, Minnesota. Minnesota, I'm going to talk to you again for a second. Because your weather is so bad. Uh, Wait, can I pretend to be Minnesota? I'm going to. Yes, because, John? Because how, it's all a, how do you feel about me? It's, it's all about you. You're, you're talking like that rock guy from NeverEnding Story 2. I've never um, seen that movie because I am a state. So, your winters are so shitty that I have, like, my third cold of the winter. And I'm sure it has absolutely nothing to do with my dramatic lack of sleep um, or my horrible dietary habits right now. I'm sure it has nothing to do with that. I'm blaming it solely on your crappy winter conditions. So, thanks a lot, Minnesota, uh, for getting me sick again. Because it really sucks. It really sucks to be sick this often. And it's pretty much all your fault. Or it is Burger King's fault. I think Minnesota's trying to say that you should stop eating Burger King, John. I don't eat Burger King, Minnesota. Then perhaps like, you should not eat Wendy's Baconator Cheeseburger. I don't eat Wendy's either. Maybe a bit too much maybe a bit too much Taco Bell. Maybe a bit too much Taco Bell. But Taco Bell is delicious and healthy for you. Minnesota, I'm thinking that you're Cody and you're not Minnesota. No, anymore. I agree with Minnesota. Minnesota is right. Taco Bell is delicious, and if they want to sponsor us, I'm fine with that. Yeah, so that was my, you know, that was my like big fun stuff of the weekend. Otherwise, it was, it was like cleaning up um, because I constantly feel like the house is not going to be sanitary for another living being. And when when you get like a scare like that, especially when, you know, we weren't anticipating any kind of baby for six weeks. And like when you move that timetable up, it was like a frantic mad dash to like get all of his clothes washed and dried because you have to wash baby clothes when you first get them. You can't just use them. So like we had to do all of his laundry and like set up his nursery quick. And it was just like, it was... It was stressful. I know some adults that won't put on clothing and wear it until they have washed it. Are you like that? No. No, and I didn't even know you had to do that for babies, but it, it, apparently it's a thing. No, one of my exes was really into that, like, would not wear it off the rack. Like, I'm going to buy a shirt, bring it home, but I can't wear it till I wash it. And I, I just never cared that much. It's got to be It's got to be like a thing where they don't, you know, you don't want to, somebody tried it on in the store and they had chest herpes you don't want to get that and i guess i understand that well and i mean chest, chest herpes is a thing and it sucks wait is it actually no oh no it's not and that's just weird maybe you wouldn't be sick if you didn't make up diseases john i still don't think that you're minnesota i'm not minnesota Minis- that was just minnesota talking not me i'm cody you're john this is unqualified gamers episode 56. Yeah. I was going to say that but I have a I have a windscreen, not a windscreen. I have a I have a like a popper. I have a thing in front of my fa- I can't see anything. You can't. You can't. Your setup your setup has like taken over your face. It's taken pretty over good. my room. It's pretty good. So listener this weekend I bought a an arm 
for my microphone, so it is now suspended in the air in front of me, much like you would see in an actual radio studio. So I no longer have to put my empty Wii U box on my desk and then put the tripod on top of that. And then, Does that mean that you can finally get rid of that empty box? Uh, no, I, I keep all my old game console boxes, don't you? Hell no. Yeah, I don't know why, but I do. I still have my box for my PS3 and my Xbox 360 and my Wii and my Wii U. Don't worry. When you get married, your wife uh, or husband will throw all of those things out for you. Yeah, so I've kept all my old game boxes from like back in the day when you bought games and they were in boxes and not just CD cases uh, or DVD cases, such as uh, like Nintendo 64 games and Super Nintendo games and all that stuff. My idea when I was little, when we were little, I guess, growing up was someday I will take all these boxes, these empty video game boxes, and I will essentially wallpaper a room with these empty boxes. Because it will look cool, kind of, and it will be nostalgic, like a living scrapbook. I'm a big proponent of that. A large portion of my wall is covered by a bulletin board, and I periodically add ticket stubs to it and little uh, memoirs from here and there. And I, I, I quite like that. I like not having a scrapbook being just a book, but like out in the open, kind of spread out. So, More like a scrap life. A scra- yes, a scrap what? Life? A scrap life. You want your you want your life to be a scrapbook. That sounds like a really shitty Lifetime movie quote. Like, your life is a scrapbook. Yes. So my idea was, cover a wall or a part of a wall or something with these boxes and it'll be cool. Well, come to find out, they stopped doing the boxes a little after the PlayStation era and they switched to DVD cases, which I'm not going to put on the wall because that's stupid. And then... That's right. Box video game boxes on the wall. That's not stupid. Video game jewel cases. What the fuck? That is just, that is dumb. You're right. You're right. You see my way of thinking. I I'm glad you can relate. See something and agree with what I said because it was brilliant. Quite frankly. So the problem is now there aren't enough to cover a wall or a portion of a wall, and at the same time, I don't. I don't retain that many jewel cases or DVD cases because I'm trying to get rid of as many current-gen games as possible. Like, if I'm not playing a GameCube game anymore or a Wii game or an Xbox 360 game, I sell it. I'm getting rid of them. Because most of these games, chances are 90% chance I will never play them again. But you think you're going to play... The other, like the old, old games again? Well, I still play my Nintendo 64 games, and I still play my Super Nintendo games. Although, the fact that I play these Super Nintendo games more often on, like, they're all available on emulator. On the emulator I have installed on my Wii and, or a computer emulator, pick and choose. Um, I, I don't really play the cards anymore, but I would like to keep the Final Fantasy 2 cartridge, because that is a very distinct Final Fantasy 2 slash four experience that I would like to be able to relive at a whim. Okay, I think that's fair. Thank you. So anyway, uh, I don't have enough to cover anything, so now I just have a Tupperware container full of empty boxes that I'm not really sure what to do with. But I'm sure I will marry someone who's really artsy and will allow me to have my own 10 by 10 square foot area in a house, uh, and I will utilize that to the fullest extent of the law. That's okay, I guess, except she'll probably still throw out your boxes of old 
why are you keeping boxes of old systems? I mean, what what nostalgia is there for the system box? Well, whenever I so I have moved a lot in the last few years. I'd say in the last ten years, because uh, in college. I lived in the dorms all four years, but I would always move out of – I had to move out of them at the end of every year and then back in at the beginning of the year. So I was moving twice a year, and then in in Chicago, since I moved here, I've moved once a year, except for one time I stayed in an apartment longer than a year. And um, because of all this moving, generally when I would move, I would pack the Wii back into the box that it came from. And I would pack the Xbox 360 back in the box it came from and things like that. Because it's got the padding that kind of fits the console. And I could all stick it all in together. And then when I took it out of the moving truck, it was all together. So th- so you did it because it, it you think it helps you organize better? Yes. Okay. I don't know how you keep boxes like that in an apartment. I don't have enough room to keep stuff in a house. I have a storage space downstairs. I have... I'm in a house. I've got, like, multiple storage spaces. Um, I don't have a lot of... Like, I've been minimizing the amount of quote-unquote stuff that I have. I have a lot of furniture, but why did I bring this up? We're 20-some minutes into the podcast, and we haven't started talking about video games, like, kind of directly. But what you asked me, I started talking about what I did this weekend. Why did this come up? Because this is the Unqualified Furniture Podcast, where we talk about your... You talk about your furniture. That's right. The Unqualified Furniture and Interior Decoration Podcast. Thanks for joining us, listener. Uh, no, it was because my, my Wii U box is now in storage, not on my desk, because I have a microphone arm, and it's very impressive and was expensive. It wasn't that expensive. It was it was 100 bucks. So, But I have it now, and I'm very excited about it. That's good. Maybe I'll put a picture on a Google Plus page, and then you... I will well actually if you go to our network's website gunnageek.com it lists the somewhere it lists or is going to list the hardware that all the podcasters on the network use. So that goes from me and my impressive microphone arm and microphone and shock mount and uh and pop filter to John's shitty $5 headset that It was $30. I'm sorry his $30 headset that he constantly insists is just as good as a quality as my elaborate expensive microphone setup and yet is really only that way because I'm a, a wizard at post-production. It still sounds pretty good. Okay, so there's that. Um, but what, 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 what did the microphone... Oh, so that's one thing I did this weekend. The other thing is I had Martin Luther King Day off. I, am I slowing my words? I mean... Kind of. Is that that new mic? Yeah, it makes me slow out. Or, or it's the half uh, handle of uh, whiskey I had before this. I'm just kidding. I don't drink during the podcast, listener. John does. I actually am right now. Yeah, I believe it. Um, but I had Martin Luther King Day off work because I work in marketing, and a lot of marketing agencies celebrate uh, federal holidays that not everyone else celebrates. So, Basically, you celebrate school holidays. Yes. We you have, like, Canada Boxing Day. No, got, but we do yeah, have you, Columbus Day off. You've got President's Day. I think we actually do have President's Day off. Yeah, you know, all the big ones. So, yeah, so that's kind of a perk to working in, in marketing. So that gave me a three-day weekend, and I played a lot of video, like, a lot of video games this weekend, which is good because that means I'll have something to talk about because I don't know if John... 
uh, did any of that because he has been busy not sleeping and spending time in hospitals and such. Yeah, there wasn't a ton of video gaming that happened. I would imagine. I actually wanted to ask specifically about that. Did do you have in your emergency bag for when you have to go and it's like be have baby time? Do you have a uh, portable video game console in that bag? I guess you could consider the iPad will travel with me. Um, I don't usually play a ton of games on it, but you know I could always dive into something small on it. Uh, so that will travel with me. But that's going to be you know it's also there to have me be able to check email and and do that kind of stuff. So who emails you? Um, I have friends. Why would friends email you and not just Facebook you or text you? I got a job that emails me sometimes. Or Snapchat you. Are you on Snapchat? No. Is that where you get pictures of dicks? Yes. So many. My God. It's like a gold mine. Is that really what it is? No, it's not. I get Snapchats all the time. It's a millennial thing, John. We're millennials. Embrace it. All right. So does that mean I have a job in a field that I don't like? It was Tuvin uh, Throat Singing, brought to you by Cody Goff of Unqualified Gamers. Uh, no, good. thank you. Uh, what does that have to do with your job? Everything. The, being a millennial? Yeah, so what uh, What did you play? That is the worst transition in the history of Unqualified Gamers. May I just, may I just say that? Yes, I agree. That was not a good transition, John. Even Minnesota agrees. Literally, the state of Minnesota agrees with me that that was the worst transition we have ever had on this show. It very much could be. Are you happy? It only makes it, well, no, it only makes it better that you draw so much attention to it. That's the point of transitions. If you don't draw attention to them, then no one will know they were talking about something new. But you did it wrong. So what it did? So do you want me to talk about my video games? I mean, I don't want you to, but you're going to. Okay, so, so that's fantastic. Uh, I played Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. This was your first Platinum game, wasn't it? This is my first Platinum game, yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, listener, if you are if you missed our episode in which John recapped Platinum Games, Platinum Games made that game, uh, the Bayonetta games, correct? Correct. Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2. Uh, the Wonderful 101 on Wii U, which our, uh, our big fan Jamie Butterworth reviewed on a, a previous episode. You can find that at unqualifiedgamers.com, and it's also on our iTunes feed, if you'd like to have that there. Uh, so, Platinum Games, pretty good pedigree. Those are some pretty solid games. What else have they done? They also made a third-person shooter called Vanquish that was really good. Okay. So... Again, good pedigree. I mean, Bayonetta made a huge splash when it came out, right? And the, and they're and they're they're like, the, kind of their calling card is this really wacky, like over the top self serious self seriousness kind of, but but all, they're just they're goofy. Like they've they've got like a really goofy stereotypical Japanese sense of humor, like very anime over the top in their games that they make. Well, yes, I would say that I got that. Um, of course, this is so. This game is a 
uh, part of the Metal Gear Solid, well, the Metal Gear franchise, right? Now, you've never played a Metal Gear... Well, you played Metal Gear Solid 1, right, John? No, I never played any Metal Gear Never played any of them. Okay, okay. And that was also, that was one of my video game Achilles heels up until about three or four years ago. I played all three of the first Metal Gear games just a little bit before Metal Gear Solid 4 came out. So I was behind the curve as well. All the games hold up, just so you know. And they're, I've told you this, they're digestible. You can beat them in 8 to 12 hours each, no problem. So you'll play them sometime. But the Metal Gear games, uh, very, very over-the-top storyline. Like, very, uh, very just... It's like the definition of up its own ass, right? I mean, it's... (laughs) Kinda, yeah, in a good in a good way. I mean, it's it's some of the best storytelling. I'll tell you, the the end of the first game affected me quite a bit. Uh, the second game was kind of all over the place by the end, so I didn't gain as much from it. The end of the third game was like could have made me cry, honestly. I kind of almost did. Like it was it was the most powerful ending. Easily one of the most powerful endings I've ever seen in a video game. I mean, it's just like Metal Gear Solid 3 is unbelievable. So they're all great games. I've, I've played 4 as well. Plan on getting 5. Hopefully they'll have a PC version. So I don't really want to spend money on a three on an Xbox One or a PS4. But the Metal Gear games have, have quite an over-the-top storyline, right? And they're very interwoven and intricate and uh, and intersect with one another uh in very complex ways. So I was I was wondering kind of how Revengeance would find its way into the web of this this world. Well, you play as Raiden, who you also play as Raiden for the majority of Metal Gear Solid 2, right? Uh, so people weren't really happy about that when Metal Gear Solid 2 came out because they liked Solid Snake. You know, everybody likes <laughs> Colonel. You know, everybody likes Snake. Uh, but no, you play as this punk kid Raiden and his whole like outfit or whatever and uh he's he's kind of obnoxious he's whiny he has some weird sub like romance subplot with some woman that you talk to over Kodak and it's all very kind of strange and uh people don't love Raiden so then all of a sudden Metal Gear Solid 4 comes out and Raiden makes a reappearance in the game is this like jacked up super cyborg that can basically if you picture an ATAT walker from Star Wars and picture Luke Skywalker with a dagger that he's holding in his toes and a sword and is somehow slicing up the ATAT with ease and doing a bunch of backflips that's pretty much Raiden in Metal Gear Solid 4 so okay. i think around that time uh Konami realized hey this is kind of fun let's give him to platinum so Platinum takes him. And now he is no longer the kind of uh, wimpy, whiny kid he was in Metal Gear Solid 2. He's kind of a bona fide badass. He's off with his own agency. So there are there's, there's one other character from the Metal Gear Solid series that makes an appearance later on in the game that I won't spoil. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, really, but whatever. The rest of the characters, no ties to Metal Gear. So this is its own story. So you, John, could actually pick up this game and play it and not be lost. Like, you'll pretty much know what's going on. Okay. Um, The game takes place in the future. You're in Africa somewhere, and uh, some political 
guy, some president of some third world country gets kidnapped or killed or whatever, and it's supposedly going to start a war, and so you have to stop the bad guys. Here's where the world, the setting of this world is, is uh, every, basically there's a lot of cyborgs. The military is all cyborgs. People are being augmented. Bodies are being snatched from places to create cyborgs. Uh, at one point, you find a brain farm, essentially, where they have removed the brains from humans, stuck them into big glass jars with two giant robotic eyeballs on them, and the brains are ready to be implanted into a cyborg body after being subjected to completely mental virtual reality training. So these brains are like running systems as if they have bodies, right? They're running simulations in their own minds as if they have what bodies. The hell? Yeah, and then later they get planted into cyborg bodies, and then lo and behold, oh, you've been training in your mind. Well, now you're in the real world, so you're already trained to be assassins and kill people and stuff. Um, frankly, some of the storyline was quite disconcerting. There, were, there was just a lot of, basically, everyone is replaceable, every part of the body is replaceable, people aren't really people, everyone's a cyborg. It, 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 I, there were parts of it that made me a little uncomfortable, especially when you get to a, just a, a wall of brains that are sitting there, and they're like, oh yeah, we can just put them into a body. Okay, great. Um, but... It's a video game, so we got to talk about the gameplay. So the gameplay is very similar to Metal Gear Solid 4. I think in the opening scene, you destroy some giant robot that's the size of, like, a small building. Uh, or And by that, I mean, like, a 20-story skyscraper. Just this giant robot just comes, and you just beat the hell out of it. You cut it up a bunch, and you destroy it. And it's one of those games where there's a whole lot of scenes where you'll finish off a boss, it'll show you deliver the final blow, turn around, and then like you're sheathing your sword while there's a huge explosion in the background. So it makes you feel like a total badass. It does. It does. At first it didn't quite. And at first I thought that the gameplay was really simple. There's there's kind of there's basically like weak attack and strong attack, kind of, for lack of a better term. Um but the more I got into it, the more it reminded me of Get Ready for This, John. Are you ready for this? I I was born ready. Okay. The more I played it, the more it reminded me of the Ninja Gaiden series. <laughs> Which, as you know I should have just I should have just guessed, because apparently every game is like a Ninja Gaiden in some way. What? What other game have I ever said that about? I don't know. All of them. Name one. I think just I can't off the top. Look, you have talked about Ninja Gaiden so many times. I make a lot of parallels because Ninja Gaiden is a gold standard for that kind of genre. Thank you. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Well, no, the gameplay was very smooth. Again, I thought it was very simplistic at first. Um, the combat uh, centers a lot around a counterattack system, and your button combination for counterattacking is... Tilt the uh, the moving stick, the moving stick. Tilt the left stick towards the enemy and hit the attack button. So, so it's like a parry then? Like it's like attacking at the same time that they it's attack? It's a parry, it's a parry. But if the enemy is in the midst of an animation where they're about to attack you, then you parry with your sword, and then of course after you parry you can counterattack. If they're not in the middle of the animation, well then you're pointing towards the enemy and hitting attack, so you just are attacking them. 
I thought it was a kind of odd mechanic. Like, once I got used to it, it worked surprisingly well. But at first, I thought it was really a poor choice of control scheme. Um, but again, I kind of got used to it. And uh, the real hook of this game is that it's not even a real sentence. Okay, this isn't the real hook of this game. But another aspect of the combat element of this game is, so you're attacking an enemy, you hit him a bunch of times. First of all, there's blood everywhere. Blood, ev- more blood than in, are you ready for this? Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. More blood than in Ninja <laughs> Gaiden. There's so much blood in this game, John. I uh, I don't know that I'm aware of a game with more blood than this. What's the bloodiest game you've ever played? I have no idea off the top of my head. Maybe Resident Evil 4? I, I don't know. That's a terrible answer. That's probably not. That's not it at all. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Uh, did you ever play Ninja Gaiden? I did. So would you say that's the bloodiest game you've ever played? I, there's a chance. Okay, there's great. certainly a chance. So Ninja Gaiden is really bloody, right? No, this game is really gratuitously just like blood spraying everywhere. Just really gratuitously bloody. Uh, so when you're attacking an enemy, let's say you hit him like 19 times with your sword, which for some reason they can take a lot of damage. Well, because they're all cyborgs actually, so that's why. But you do like, you know, 19, 20 hits, whatever. Then you can hit L1 to go into kind of a bullet time mode with your sword. And you can target parts of their body. And if you've done enough damage to them, then a, a one of their limbs will kind of flash blue. And you can sever that limb. You would hit square for a horizontal slash or triangle for a vertical slash. Or you can use the right thumbstick to actually uh, direct the angle of the slash and sever their limbs. Now, you're told at the start of the game that these cyborgs contain data, have data chips that are contained in their left arm, I believe. So throughout the game, you get bonus points and uh, more experience points for severing enemies' left arms, specifically. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. Yes. There are enemies where you can sever their legs and they'll still continue attacking you. You can sever both of their arms and they'll still attack you. Um, you can sever various parts of their body. But there is a kind of like a core to each of these cyborgs in the middle of them where all of their nano machines. Nano machines are kind of used uh, universally in this game to describe any cyborg enhancement that they don't feel like explaining. So, like, oh, turn off my pain inhibitor nano machines means now I can feel pain. Uh, or uh, the nano machines help repair them more quickly, or whatever. So, this, this, like, there's this central cortex of nano machines kind of in, in the cyborg bodies. And when you're in the bullet time, if they're near dead, a red box appears, kind of superimposed. And if you target near that box and slice the person in half, and then hit circle, you reach into their severed half and rip out what looks like a spinal cord, but it's gro- it's glowing blue and has a bunch of balls on it. I think it looks kind of more like a uh, like the bola that you throw in Star Tropics. Okay. Good game. Yeah. You rip out this blue thing. And- Wait, is there more blood in this game than Star Tropics? Yeah. Okay. Uh, marginally. Marginally. So you rip it out, this blue thing, and I think you just squeeze it with your hand and it explodes, but you absorb all the energy, and at least on normal mode, it actually restores all of your health and uh, fuel cells. 
fuel cells are kind of like your ability to use special abilities. I didn't quite follow the fuel cells. Fuel cells essentially let you stay in bullet time longer. But you essentially rip a, a, a thing out of their chest and destroy it and eat it and you become more powerful. I'm guessing it doesn't fully restore you on the harder mode difficulty, but the game was challenging enough, so I chose to just go to normal. Uh, so there's that nice little piece. And when you sever something, it uh, in the bottom right corner of the screen, it not only shows you how many hits you've landed during bullet time, but how many pieces that person has been severed into. <sighs> Wow. All right. <laughs> so if you go into bullet time and just mash uh, triangle and square over and over, eventually a little a little uh, subtitle will come on that says destroyed. So you can see that the thing is destroyed. But you can keep going and slashing anyway until they're cut into like 300 pieces. So uh, Does it afford you anything? No, no. I didn't get any trophies directly from that that I'm aware of. Though I was very happy with the fact that I got a lot of trophies while I played this game. Especially in the first few chapters, they were just giving them out left and right. That makes me happy too. I like when, like, I feel like I've played a lot of PlayStation Three games lately that don't really give you trophies. Like they, they're hard to get. They're all very like specific task focused, rather than oh, I'm good at this game, I'm gonna get trophies focused. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the game in a nutshell. It's very fast paced, very high octane. Um, there are gigantic enemies. All of the grunts are cyborgs. You cut things up. And I, did you see the image I posted on our Google Plus page? No. So I posted an, a screenshot of the, uh, or a, a picture I took of the end of the game. At the end of the game, uh, it gives you a count of total left arms severed, right arms severed, etc. Oh, the old, the old final severing screen. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So essentially at the end of the game... I mean, it's been used in so many games. Right. Uh, the caption I put was, you know you've been playing a violent video game when the end game screen details how many limbs you've severed, specifically. So, very violent. I will say the very end was the most brutally graphic uh, finish him I've ever seen. Uh, more than Worse than pretty much anything in Mortal Kombat. Uh, I will not spoil it for those who want to play it, but it involves a lot of entrails hanging out of a person. All right, right on. Uh, I was not a fa- I like I actually cringed at that part, and not in like a this is kind of funny way. Like it was gross. Uh, so not for the incredibly faint of uh, of heart, challenging enough. Now, as far as action games go, like action. It's not even a platformer. It's just more like an action beat 'em up, 3D beat 'em up style. Was it? Was it? Was the? Did it control well? Because that's always been what I think is a kind of a staple hallmark of platinum games. Is they're they 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 nail controls. I would say yes and no. Uh, I don't think that it controlled quite as well as. Are you ready for this? Which game? Ninja Gaiden. Shocking, Enough. I know. Nothing's gonna live up to your to your love of Ninja Gaiden ever. Uh, no, the control was was okay overall. Here's the problem: uh, the Metal Gear Solid series is a stealth espionage series. You sneak around a lot. They have a very specific system set into place that's been there since the original Metal Gear and Metal Gear Two on the uh, 
whatever home computer system I said in that one podcast where I reviewed them. Uh, same espionage kind of thing. You sneak around, it's great, okay? Well, in this game, there are parts, there are sections where there is a group of cyborgs and your team tells you sneak past these guys. Well, you run, you can't walk, you can't crawl, you can't um, do really anything that helps you do that. The enemy's range of vision is astronomically good because they're all cyborgs. So I think out of probably a potential 70 or 80 encounters I could have skipped, I think I skipped five successfully or six Wow. I mean, maybe I'm just not that good at the game, but I and that that's very likely that I'm just not good at the game. So if you're really good at action games, like take this with a grain of salt. I'm not great at it. My rating at the end of the game was a C because at the end of every encounter they rate you A B C D. I don't know if you can get an F. I got an S once, which means like perfect basically, so that's good. I got one S in the entire game. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my average at the end was a C. Uh, Mostly, I had, like, five Bs, three or four Cs, and then, like, one that I skipped altogether somehow. So, again, I'm not great at this game, but I found that part kind of frustrating because it was like they really encouraged you to sneak by, and I, I really only did it a couple times. I just think they could have added some specific mechanics to aid in that. Um, and I used items. I, I used a couple uh, items to help out, but it just didn't it didn't click for some reason with me. So uh, I think in terms of the actual combat controls, they were they were very solid. Uh, they were they were really good. With the targeting system is good. Uh, you're generally they're generally pretty fair fights. You get a couple uh, secondary weapons that add a lot of variety to the combat. Um, so I, I thought overall, yeah, I would give it like a probably a nine out of ten for control, if you ac- exclude the espionage parts. Right. What would you give Ninja Gaiden? So the other thing about this game is there's a lot of stuff to collect, which I like a lot, and there's a couple different things. Like there's a lot of hidden chests here and there, and there's also these little laptops kind of tucked away. That you can activate to access, you can access to activate VR missions. So you find a laptop, you go over, you grab it, and then you ha- you've unlocked a VR mission. You can open your uh, your codex screen and go to a VR mission at any point. It just says um, progress will be lost since the last autosave. Do you want to do the VR missions? You go okay. You go and you do these VR missions, which are kill all the enemies within five minutes or whatever. You do a VR mission, you get a bunch of experience points for it, and then you go back to your last autosave, and you can spend those experience points on body upgrades. So there's a cool little RPG element. Um, you are upgrading your your uh, inventory throughout the game consistently uh, in a very similar way to uh, Ninja Gaiden, actually. I'm just kidding. It's actually similar to Devil May Cry. Which is, Devil May Cry, which is a which lot like is pretty much the same game as, as Ninja, Ninja Gaiden. Gaiden. Yeah. Right. So uh, no, there's a cool sense of progress. Um, your team is funny. There's a lot of funny moments in the game. It is by no means a light-hearted game because uh, there is a point where there is a plot point that involves children, uh, basically orphans, being uh, enslaved as. Uh, brainwashed and enslaved as wartime cyborgs. Um, 
there, again? Yeah, I know. No, there's some serious shit in there. Like there, there were a couple parts, and I was like, this is not, this is not a feel good game of the year. Uh, really kind of at all. There's a lot of war and atrocities and morals. And there's one point where, point where uh, one of the villains makes, like, taps into your nano machine so you can hear what your victims are thinking. So here I have gone and, like, completely disembodied hundreds of cyborgs. And then suddenly I'm hearing their thoughts about, like, their family and paying the bills and all that stuff. And I'm like, I feel bad for playing this game. It's just really like, ah, it's a bit dark. It was a bit dark. Well, I'm sold. It was a bit. It was, but again, there's still a lot of humor in there, and I am kind of, uh, a pansy. A little bit. I, I am. Uh, you remember how you said you, at one point, you said you weren't going to play The Last of Us because you just weren't at a point. Like, you would come home and you needed something kind of light to kind of get your... Like, you weren't... You didn't want to come home and get into that heavy material. Right. That's how I would feel kind of in retrospect of this game. I think the action points in this game kind of make up for it because it's so high action and so high adrenaline. Like, you're not really thinking about story a whole lot. But then when you get into these long cutscenes and they're talking about some of this stuff, then it gets a little heavy. And I think... um you just need to go in expecting that or being okay with it. I've also, I, I'll just be totally honest. I've, I'm in a place in my life where I'm questioning things like mortality and, and morality and things like that. So um, had I played this game three or four years ago, I probably wouldn't have batted an eye. But right now at this particular moment in my life, like I think it was just kind of an awkward little like, oh, didn't expect that to happen kind of a thing. Yeah, I tell you what, the way that you're describing this game, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, it kind of, it kind of makes me not really all that interested in it because it's not what I come to platinum for. Yeah. They still have the quirky humorous. They still have the, some of the over the top stuff, but they, they do have the, the political drama part of the metal gear series and it is thought provoking. Um, but in this particular case, a lot of it is quite dark and quite violent and quite visceral. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's just not really what, that's not really what I come to platinum for. Sure, and that's fair. I, I yeah, so I I don't know. I'm not. Uh, it sounds to me personally like another Metal Gear game. I'm just not going to play. Well, you're going to play the Metal Gear games because I'm going to make you. I will go to Minnesota, and we are going. It's to... not. A, it's not a very welcoming place. You heard me talking to it. My thing, Cody, is more than welcome to come to Minnesota. Minnesota wants me to come. Did you hear that? Well, you know, I can't argue with the state I'm living in. I'm inside it. You are. And it's very comfortable. It's not, and I don't know what that last sound was. I think Minnesota likes you being inside it, John. I think Minnesota loves me So and loves to make me sick. Did you play Bayonetta? I did. I played Bayonetta multiple times. And is the storyline silly or over the... The storyline is ludicrous in that game. It is absolutely ludicrous. I don't even know... It's not even worth trying to explain to you the story but you're a witch whose clothes are made out of her hair and who gets naked the stronger that her attacks are because she uses more hair power so it's it's pretty good do they deal with any serious issues no not at all okay not even close so i want to make i think i think that what happened here is platinum wanted to make the game that they made 
And they made that. And that's where you get all the wacky stuff. And then Hideo Kojima came in and he said, we need dark cyborgs that I'm going to pull out of my asshole. And that's what he did. And he's like, these have to be in the game. And the guys at Platinum were like, they don't really fit kind of what we're doing. He's like, no. Cyborgs, political intrigue, genocide, enslaving... uh, Children. Enslaving children. We need all of these things. And they're like, well, it kind of doesn't really fit. It's like, slash the children's heads off. And then that's the game that you get. You get get this game that way. You do actually slice a kid's arm off. Like I said, that is the Kojima in this game. That is not platinum in this game. Now, I want to make it clear. I liked this game. I thought it was a good game. And it was fun when I was playing it. Um, but I was put off by some of the heavy hand in this, which is, which is typical of the Metal Gear series. And I'm okay with that. I, I love the storyline in all the Metal Gear Solid games. Love them. Like it's so good. This is totally in the same vein, totally fits. It just happens to touch on a a point, uh, on some points that are a little more intense than what I'm used to from the series. So I think a fan of, any fan of Metal Gear who likes action games will love this game. Any fan of really good action games who doesn't mind uh, getting mind f***ed a little bit uh, by, you know, thinking about things like cyborgs and being disembodied and being enslaved and things like that, I think you'll love the game too. I think this game is for a lot of people. I think this game was for me. I, I think I got what I, you know, what I wanted out of it. Um, but... It wasn't a like slam dunk lead home run like this is perfect. I love everything about this game. Um, it had enough humor in it. It had enough really cool stuff. And honestly, I, I could be you know misrepresenting it a little bit. Maybe I just thought too much about this stuff because I live alone and I'm in my late twenties and I think about like life and shit, and this game touched on a lot of that stuff. That I'm a little There's a lot of life, lot of life and shit. right. Yeah, I'm just a bit more. Um, it's been a bit more top of mind and all that stuff. It's you know going through an existential crisis kind of uh, uh, peak right now for me. So there's that. Again, if I'd played this three or four years ago, I wouldn't have even thought about that. I might have. I might have felt like this game was as good as uh, is Ninja Gaiden. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm just saying that's what stopped me from loving it, loving it, like making love to it. It just stopped me from literally taking the disc out of the PS3 and putting my dick in it. It holds not that big in a CD. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to say. So you know the Batman, uh, the Batman Arkham games, detective mode. The thing where you you get extra information about stuff. Yes. Okay. So. Listener, in the Batman Arkham City, Arkham Origins, Arkham Asylum, you have detective mode. And you press a button, and basically, you can see kind of through walls. You can see outlines of enemies far away. You can see their heartbeats. So you kind of get this super vision, and you can kind of see everything that's going on. There is a similar vision in this game. What I thought was interesting is... I don't know about you, John, but when I played Arkham Asylum, I was in detective mode nonstop. In the original one, yes. The original because one. Because there was no reason not to Exactly. Be. Not so with Arkham City, and I don't remember why exactly, but... I think they, they you lose the minimap or something, 
in detective mode. Yeah, I don't remember why, but I, I do remember not using... I mean, you used it a lot in Arkham City, but it wasn't as constant, right? Arkham Asylum used it a lot. Um, this game, I used it whenever I could, but it automatically turns off anytime you attack or run. That will not run like move, but there is a uh, if you hold R one, you do a ninja run, and basically that means that you're running faster than usual, and you ninja run through a lot of the game. So, uh, whenever you would dash, basically or attack, you got snapped out of that mode. And I thought that was an interesting way to uh, prevent the player from constantly using that mode and being at a kind of constant advantage. Sure. But then later in the game, when I needed it a little bit more, it got kind of tedious and a little annoying. So I don't know how perfectly I would say it was executed, but uh, but I thought that was kind of an interesting mechanic decision. I read something about this game in terms of mechanics where there's a way to lock on to stuff, but they never explicitly tell you that. Correct. I noticed that. (laughs) Okay. And you could go through the whole game without being able to do that or without knowing that you could do that. Yep. Correct. I, I didn't, I didn't use it most of the time. So yeah, I, well, I just, I read that there would be things, specific bosses that would be incredibly difficult without that ability. I mean, the final boss would be probably Im- pretty much impossible. The final boss was and tough. There are some people that fought the final boss without knowing that. Yeah, that sucks. Because it was never taught to them. So, listener, if you do buy this game, know at some point, the, uh, and again, I've never played this, but you can lock on to enemies somehow. R2. And it is important. R2. It is an important tactic at some point in the game. Yeah, it's R2, and they just have to be in your field of vision, and you hit R2, and then you're locked on. And if there are multiple targets, you hit R2 again to switch to another one. Right on. So, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I I liked this game again. Uh, probably most of our listeners will just be like, I liked the game. What's your deal, Cody? But uh, you know what? I think a lot about stuff. I'm a very uh, thoughtful person. Think, yeah, you think a lot about stuff. I, That's Listener, if you've gotten anything from this episode, it's that Cody thinks a lot about stuff. Sure, and because of that, sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes certain material. Like, I... like. For example, Limbo has been on my desktop for uh, my Steam. The Steam game Limbo has been on my desktop for like a few months now, and I wanted to play that next, and I'm actively not going to play it because I know what the subject matter is right now, and I don't want to deal with it. That's a really good game. I know it is, and I'm. You should play that. Game. Yeah. Well, Last of Us, you haven't played for the exact same reason I'm essentially saying. I just I need to. Uh, I need games that will distract me from my current existential quarter-life crisis, and when I get out of it, I will gladly play that game. Well, it sounds like you didn't pick the right one, then. I think it was just uh, not optimal timing, but I would like to go back again and play it, kind of knowing what to expect, and just skip a couple of the cutscenes. I would like to go back and play it again, try and get a higher ranking on stuff, because um, I really did, maybe like... play it on a harder Maybe play it on a harder difficulty, because if, if I've learned anything from playing Platinum games, it's that... They're good on their standard modes, but they really shine when you increase the difficulty of the game. But it was hard enough for me. It's because you're a pansy. Well, not all of us are playing Dark Souls to get off at night. Oh my god, that game is so good. Oh, that's like your Ninja Gaiden, Dark Souls. Dark Souls 2 is coming out soon. Yeah, everyone knows, John. You've only mentioned it a hundred times. I'm a little excited for it. I know. So what the hell have you been playing, Mr. I'm not playing Ninja Gaiden right now? 
Well, I am not going to talk about it this week because it's something I, I actually I, I want to go into super deep, like all the way inside of it. Uh, but it's new Super Mario uh, 3D World. You want to talk? There's that much to say about a Mario game? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, because I because I, yeah, because I like I want to talk about I want to I want to like branch out the conversation into more of a general Nintendo philosophy conversation. Oh, okay. Because they 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 very apparently have a different philosophy from any other not any other, but many other developers in the terms of in, in the way that they make their games. And I want to have a discussion with you about that. So yeah, I don't want to talk about it right now. So I've been playing that. Um that was a that was a game that I've I've I played a ton of um and then I've played another game that I'm still working through that I don't really want to talk about tonight as well called The Last Remnant which is this obscure JRPG that was originally released for the Xbox 360 and um PS3 that was no just the Xbox 360 that was developed by Square and then it was later released on the PC which is the way that I'm playing it and uh it was done by the same team that did the saga frontier games i never played those so we'll have a long discussion about those as well because i've got some things about game design i want to talk about okay uh with that game all right that means i will try to hit up uh, mario 3d world a little bit more this week because i i've started it but uh you should because i would really love to have a discussion with you about that game although if we're talking about nintendo as a whole i've been playing pokemon y just constantly so I, I'm at least well versed in that. Yeah, it's not a Nintendo game though. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's it's made by Game Freak. I mean, it's not their. It's their. It is a studio, but it is not. It's not really a Nintendo game. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, we should yeah. mention what our listeners have been playing though. Okay. Since you haven't been actually, you know, doing anything productive with your life. Agreed. So. Uh, we asked, uh, as we do every week, what were you playing this weekend? Justin downloaded Picross, E, E2, and E3 on the 3DS. Puzzle Time? Heard, What's that? What's Picross? I've, I've heard good thing about Picross. It's a 3D puzzle game where, like, you, you manipulate an image in a 3D space, and it's made up of different cubes like it's it's a it's a large 3d image made up of cubes and you move the cubes around or something to create i don't know exactly what it is but i i think that that's kind of the gist of it is it is it anything like ninja gaiden i think there's less blood okay uh christopher says unfortunately i'm not playing in video games this weekend is all about surviving christopher is our fan that that uh is in robotics and currently participating in robotics competition, which he sent me a bunch of information about, and I've looked at some of, but still not posted on our Google Plus page because I'm an asshole. So I'm really sorry. Thank you again for sending that. Because I, I, I want our listener, I want uh, all of our Google Plus fans to be able to, you know, branch out a little and learn new things sometimes. So I would like to like spread some of that love because I think that's cool. Robots are the future. And if it's all about survival, he must be doing a robotic duel to the death. Right. So, Christopher, we hope you're here next week. Yeah. Uh, Scott says PS4 is being fixed. So going old school, Final Fantasy, guess which one? Gaiden. Which one would you want him to be playing? Oh, gosh. Um, 
I, I mean, there are merits to all of them except for eight. So any but eight? <laughs> well, I mean, you're close. Well, I mean, you're right. It's not eight. No, Final Fantasy nine. That's a, oh, my gosh. Oh, nine was so good. Scott, John loves Final Fantasy nine. I do. I I love nine. That game is wonderful. Is that your favorite uh, one, like, past the Super Nintendo generation? I go in and out. I mean, I, like, there, when Final Fantasy was at its best, it was doing such different things with every game that, like, there's things to fall in love with and fall out of love with like the in, draw like, system. every single game. That was in the game that I just mentioned had no redeeming qualities. All right. Uh, our, uh, our fan vintage gamer, Jarly, enjoying getting my ass whooped into Mega Man 3 and Castlevania 4. That would be Super Castlevania, right? I believe so. I think, I think yeah, and that was a relatively difficult game. I, I don't remember having a lot of problems with Mega Man 3, but it could be because I played it so many times. Mega Man 3, I... So Mega Man 3, the eight bosses aren't that bad, but then you get you have to replay the levels where you refight the Mega Man 2 bosses. Yes. I always found those levels challenging. Yeah, I don't really remember. Yeah, because remember, you beat the eight Master Robots, but then you have to go back to Gemini Man's level and back to Needle Yeah, Man's I do level. remember yeah, that. Yeah, but in, yeah. halfway through the stage, you would fight this robot that like gets possessed by the soul of a Mega Man 2 boss. That's right, that was pretty And neat. then at the end of the level, you had to do it again. So they were long levels. There were spikes everywhere. Just spikes everywhere in all of those levels. Or bottomless pits. Just tons of one-hit deaths. And then you had to fight these bosses. And if you didn't have the right weapon, they would wreck you. So I always found those levels really challenging. Maybe I just don't remember it that well. Yeah. Um, but those are the only four levels. I mean, then you get to Wily's Castle, and Wily's Castle's not that bad either. Personally, yeah. but... Uh, and Vintage Gamer Jarly actually asked Scott within our thread what his favorite Final Fantasy is on PlayStation 1, and Scott said he'd have to say Final Fantasy 9. 4 and 10 are his favorites in the series. That's that's legit. Yeah, I, I, can't go, I can't get behind 10, but uh, 9 is good. 10 is so popular, though. You know, 10 was, is like the most popular one in Japan, right? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that I have to like it. I mean, it's not nearly enough like Ninja Gaiden for me. That's true. That's true. Uh, see, I, I, the ending of 10 was ruined for me before I played it. And I feel like that is a substantial part of the story and the experience. Yeah. So I, I don't think, I mean, I liked the combat system personally. I love the music, love the music, especially the battle music. But when the end was ruined for me, like I, I don't know how much that detracted from my experience. So that's fair. I'll kind of never know if 10 could have been my favorite, but I certainly liked it when I played it. And then Jamie says, well, since the weekend is pretty much over. What? Oh, he posted this at the end of the weekend. He said he played Xenoblade Chronicles and finally beat it. And he's working on his way through Last of Us on Survivor, which I think is a harder difficulty level because he beat Last of Us. He beat right. Last of Us. You haven't even played it yet, and he beat it already. Oh, and some Final Fantasy Tactics, because it's my favorite game of all time, and I can't get enough of it. I can, it's a good game. I can get behind that. I, did, you know, I, uh, did you see the Kickstarter that I posted? I did. Are you going to back it? No. Nope. Why not? Because I'll just buy the game when it comes out. Okay. So, uh, listener, the creator of the Final Fantasy Tactics um, game, 
I guess that's what it is. Uh, w- the creator or one of the creators or the mind behind it uh, is helping create a game that is on Kickstarter. I don't remember the name of it, but I backed it. And I, re- I rarely back video games. Um, but they had a limited offer. If you The limited offer was if you pledge $20, you'll get a digital copy of the game. And that was offered for a limited time. So I did that. Um, but check out our Google Plus page if you're interested in that. I I realize it's a different game studio. It's not Square. Like the team is different. It's the same. It's the it's the main director though that was in charge of and was responsible for Final Fantasy Tactics. So it's a spiritual. It's going to be a spiritual su- successor to the game. Yeah, I mean that's why that's why I backed it. But you know, there's there's a lot of talk about the merits and pitfalls of Kickstarter these days in the video game world. Have you like been following any of that? Yeah. A lot of money grabs, it seems like, isn't there? Well, a lot of money grabs, and then, like, a couple projects that were funded, like, three years ago that haven't gotten any updates, and, uh, you know, potential people getting ripped off, and, um, yeah, it's, a lot of people have compared it to pre-ordering a game, but not knowing if the game will ever actually come out. And that's, to be honest, that is one of the biggest problems with Kickstarter, is people are using it as a pre-order, people are, are going about it as, like, a, a pre-order service and that is not at all what kickstarter is supposed to be it is supposed to be an investment in the company making whatever product that they are making it just so happens that when they're talking about a video game the product is that video game but there are plenty of products that get backy they get funding by a bank or something and then they 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 never come to fruition like this is not a pre-order service that's true. You can't think of it. You just can't think of it like that. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna donate to something on a Kickstarter, you have to be okay with possibly never getting that product. Seriously. Interesting perspective. It's the correct perspective. Well, like if you like the, the there's the the warped perspective is the person that is doing that is going to Kickstarter and they are they're saying, oh, this game looks great. I'm gonna I'm gonna in, like invest in it under the assumption that they will just get that game when it comes out because. Kick, Kickstarter is for stuff that doesn't even have the money to be made yet. I mean, they're not required to provide a. They're required to provide the 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 companies that go on Kickstarter are required to provide whatever incentives they have for donating. Like that is a requirement by them. That is a contract that they enter with Kickstarter. So like if they say, hey, if you donate twenty bucks, we'll give you this. They are required to give you that. Um, I think it's probably a little fuzzy when you talk about getting like a digital copy of the game because that's the actual final product. Like, I don't think they'd have to supply that. But if they're like a signed copy of a poster signed by like the developer, they have to provide those. But as far as the finished product goes, they do not have a an obligation to provide that. How sure are you about any of that? I think I just kind of made up most of it. Okay, yeah. I mean, that sounds about right that you made up most of it, but... Uh... Yeah, uh, all I know is on on the radio show I produce um, on terrestrial radio every week. We have a we have an attorney on the air every week, and from what I gather from her appearances, if they fail to do this Kickstarter, like if if you if you know twenty thousand dollars gets raised to fund the game, great, never shows up, never whatever, like you could take a class action suit, but as an individual, there's not a lot you can do. Yeah, but if they're if they're a smart company like most of these companies are, they're going to have their company filed as an LLC. The LLC won't have any money because it will have spent all of the money that that was given to it to create something. Exactly. And then and then there's no money to give to other people. Exactly. So even if so, you get that class action suit, um, you're still pretty much you don't get anything out of you're it. You're out of luck. So yeah, yeah, people need to realize like 
you know, I used to think the law would like protect a, protected a whole lot of things. And the more I, the more I'm on my radio show with this attorney, the more I realize like get everything in writing. Don't give people large chunks of money without explicit written agreements. And it better be for a lot because if you're going to quibble over like three or 400 bucks, it's probably not worth it to take to court because even filing a small claim is a substantial amount of money. So watch your wallets, kids, listeners. There's your knowledge for the week. Watch your money because the government's got better things to do than, you know, help you penny pinchers out there. What are we even talking about? <laughs> I don't know. That's right. That's right. You penny pinchers. I don't know. I suddenly got really tired. I have a feeling you're really tired too. I am. It's been a long few I feel days. like you're exhausted. So with that... I'm excited to go to bed. Yeah, we'll let you actually go to bed. Uh, listener, go play Ninja Gaiden like we talked about all the podcasts. Um, you know what? This was the, that was a Ninja Gaiden podcast. I've been thinking about replaying through the first or second Ninja Gaiden game to actually review it on this podcast. You should. There are some of the best games ever made in the history of video games, really in the history of any type of of games. So like you're talking about, you know, Baccarat... Uh, backgammon, uh, blackjack, ninja Gaiden. If this episode has taught me anything. Is that I should I should be asleep right now. I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs>